we are, uh, we're beginning a new sermon series this morning. Uh, it's going to run for the next nine Sundays, and we're going to ask the question, are we on mission? Green Tree Community Church is uh, about 21 and a half years old. Uh, we've been in our new, uh, our new Sunday morning uh, home for a couple of years. Uh, we have a lot of new folks, and we have a lot of folks that have been with us quite a long time, and it's a, probably uh, a very good time for us just to step back and revisit the mission statement and ask that question, are we on mission? So we wanted to kind of get your imagination stirring a little bit uh, with that video, kind of get you thinking along those lines, uh, because we want to think about this in a couple different ways. We want to think about it individually. Uh, as a disciple of Jesus, I've been called uh, to follow him. I've been called to a mission, so to speak, and am I on mission? But also, collectively as a congregation, uh, the church is not this building. There, there, there is no such thing uh, as a church building. There are buildings that house churches as they come together to worship God, as they come together to study his word. A part of the, the reason we have this building is so we can do that for our children, as you just saw uh, and heard in Hannah's words a couple of minutes ago. But we are the church. And when we leave here, the church goes wherever we go. And we may be the only representation this week that someone sees of Jesus. What will they see? What will they experience? Will they see and experience a, a people of grace and of mercy and compassion? Are we on mission? That's the conversation we're going to have for the next few weeks. Uh, for our purposes this morning, we're going to begin this series by looking at a few verses in the New Testament book of Philippians. So if you have a Bible uh, or a cell phone or an uh, iPad uh, or the screen, we have all kinds of options. I'm actually going to use a, a regular old Bible. We're going to look at chapter 3, verses 7 through 11, uh, and we're going to consider what it means this morning to know Jesus Christ. That's the first phrase in our mission statement, which you'll see in just a minute. Uh, and so that's where we're going to start. We're going to start with a foundational question this morning. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. Hear the word of God. The Apostle Paul writes, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word to him alone be glory. Let's pray together. I'm going to give you a moment for silent prayer, and I'm going to invite you to ask God to speak to you this morning. I'm also going to ask you to take responsibility for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Pray for the folks seated around you that God would speak to them, and then I will lead us. Father, we bless your name this morning as the creator, sustainer of all that is. You're the author of our salvation that we experience in our Lord Jesus Christ. We praise you, Lord Jesus, because you came and gave yourself as a sacrifice, as a ransom for many who had all turned away from you. We had gone our own way, 
And you allowed the Father to lay our iniquity upon you. And by your wounds, we experience healing. We praise you because you are the risen one, the exalted one, the King of kings and the Lord of lords seated at the right hand of the Father. We praise you, Spirit, because you are the one who opens our hearts and minds, who makes us alive and allows us to enter into a relationship with God through the grace of Jesus. So, Father, Son, and Spirit, we praise you this morning. We ask that you'd be present in our studies. We ask you that you would open our hearts and our minds. Uh, We come, some, from very difficult moments this week. Others, uh, very joy-filled moments. Some of us have been distracted. Others of us have been laser-focused. Some of us come uh, looking forward to the next week. Others of us come perhaps dreading. We thank you that you know every one of us, and you have a word for every one of us. Father, I am not equipped nor capable to bring a word to anyone other than man's philosophy or man's ideas. It is only your teaching and your gospel that can penetrate our heart and our soul, and it is that for which we pray. Father, forgive my sin. I pray that I would not be a hindrance to your teaching this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. As I said, in the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at our mission statement. You can find our mission statement on our website and our written material, uh, but it'll be good for us to review and ask the question, are we on mission? Uh, I'm going to preach most of the sermons in this series. I'm going to preach uh, six of the eight sermons that will be preached in this series, and I'm going to use the same sentence every week for my uh, sermon in a sentence, and it's simply going to be our mission statement because I want it to kind of sink in. And, and probably if we, you know, if we brought a couple of folks up here who had, had been here a while, they could probably, without even looking at it, catch a couple of things. But it's good for us to maybe kind of get it a little bit deeper in our hearts and our minds as we move forward in the congregation. So this morning, uh, the sermon of a sentence is to know Jesus Christ, to serve him in joyful obedience by growing disciples, planting churches, and renewing communities. Uh, Now, when you hear me off and on throughout the year refer to our mission, I typically live in the second part of that conversation. Usually we're talking about uh, growing disciples or we're talking about uh, planting churches. We actually have uh, a young man with us this morning who is uh, being considered to be one of our next church planters uh, up in Ferguson, Missouri. Boone, I'm going to ask you to stand up with your wife so we can start praying for you this morning. That's Boone and Laquita, and we're thankful you're here. Boone is at Covenant Seminary, and we're hopeful that within three years we can have uh, our next church plan. This one's going to be different because we're going to be partnering with about five churches around St. Louis, some of our fellow EPC churches and some other congregations like The Journey uh, to plant this congregation. So my point is, and, I, and he actually knew ahead of time that I might ask him to stand up, uh, my point is, is that you hear me talking about those things. You hear me talking about renewing communities, but this morning we want to start with the Bedrock Foundation. This morning we want to talk about what it means to know Jesus Christ. So we're going to do that this Sunday and next because Paul does a wonderful job of connecting the dots. He understands that there is no mission, right, N-O. He has no mission unless he has a no, K-O-N-E mission, K-O-N, K-O-W-N, wow, Kano-E mission. I've been reading way too much Greek. (laughs) And that doesn't even make sense to me. Paul doesn't have a mission unless he knows Jesus Christ. That is foundationally and fundamentally the starting point for every disciple. And everything that we do comes out of either knowing him well or not knowing him well enough. What comes out of our lives, what, what we produce in our lives, 
is a result of how well we know Jesus Christ. And so it's appropriate for us to start this morning. I have three observations in this text that I hope will be helpful for us. The first thing I want us to see is that Paul looks back in his life and talks about a commitment that has been made. So he says in verse 7, but whatever gain I had in the past, I counted, there's past tense again, as loss for the sake of Christ. What Paul is is referring to is he's looking back uh, several years, probably somewhere between 25 and 30 years into the day where he came to a literal fork in the road on his way to Damascus and Jesus confronted him. And you can read about that conversion in the book of Acts, just a couple of uh, few uh, books before the book of Philippians, where Paul was confronted by Christ and he made an intentional choice. He looked at his life, he listened to the message of Jesus, and he decided to count everything else in his life a distant second to knowing Christ. That no matter what was to his gain, he decided that that was the the wrong thing to be pursuing, and there was a better thing to pursue, and that was a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, what did Paul count as, as, as lost? What, was it his money? Was it his prestige? Was it, was it his, uh, his, his home uh, or his wealth or his family? What were those things that Paul counted as lost? Well, Paul's speaking here about the, the things upon which a person would lean to uh, have a good relationship with God. If, if you had to stand before God and say, God, uh, I deserve your love. I deserve your friendship. What things would you mention, right? You probably wouldn't mention your wealth. You probably, you probably wouldn't mention the things that you own. You would probably maybe talk about things you do uh, or, or, or a good attitude maybe that you have. And Paul is asking this question or making this statement in the context of spiritual things, right? Everything that I thought was important to have a good relationship with God, I've given all that up, right? It, it's lost me because there's something greater, What's greater is knowing Jesus Christ. Now, we didn't read these verses, but immediately before Paul says, whatever was my spiritual gain, I'm not going to even look at it anymore. He mentions those things that he was counting on. So if you go back earlier in this chapter, in verse 4, he says this, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Hear the confidence, right? Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law, a Pharisee as to zeal, a persecutor of the church as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul isn't saying that he kept the law perfectly. He was saying, as far as you know, if you look at my outward life, it was pretty polished and cleaned up. So if anybody could go to God and say, God, I deserve your love. I demand a relationship with you. It would be Paul. And Paul abandoned all of that. He said, it's of no use to me. Trying to be as good as as you can be in order to get in right relationship with with God, Paul says, that's worthless. There's only one thing that's ultimately important, and that's for me to know Christ. I set everything else aside, right? Uh, I remember my wedding day when when Cindy came down the aisle, and and there were a couple of thoughts uh, rolling through my head. And it's so odd, but I remember it like it was yesterday. One of the thoughts was, oh my goodness, what have I done, right? Which I think every groom uh, probably has that thought, "Am am I ready for this? Which clearly I wasn't. But the other thought I had when I looked at her was, she's worth it, right? There, There isn't even anything, anybody, that's a distant second, right? I don't have to wonder what might have been. If, 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 you know, five years from now, uh, you know, we weren't married or who else might have been out there? The, the, the sanctuary could have been empty because the only person I saw was her. 
And, and as scared as I was, and, and as little as I knew about marriage at that moment, I knew one thing for certain, that she and I were going to be together, right? And, and that was a glorious moment and a glorious thought. And Paul is saying, I made a commitment back then that I would know Christ. Nothing else is of value. Have you made that choice? Have you made that commitment? Have you, have you laid aside your self-righteousness? Have you laid aside all the arguments you have for why you're a good person compared to the rest of us? And are you seeing that Jesus is really the one who makes you right in the eyes of God? So Paul speaks about a commitment made back then, but he also talks about an unworthy, uh, unswerving mindset that he has now. Look at the first part of, ver, first part of verse 8. Indeed, I count, so there we are now in the present, everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul speaking to th this practice of his. It's an everyday thought. I, I, I have counted, I am counting, and I will continue to count. Everything worthless compared to knowing Jesus. He's talking about a way of life. He's talking about a foundational thinking that he has embraced in order to allow him to be on mission. For Paul, who, who was the apostle to the Gentiles, who was the most amazing church planter that, that the world's ever seen, and, I, and I, Boone, you're going to be a great church planter, but, but the apostle Paul is above every church planter, and he says all of that isn't important without knowing Jesus. And that's what I do day in and day out, the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus. Uh, I'm going to go back to the marriage analogy for just a second. Uh, because I, I say to, I, I meet with couples before they get married, if I have the honor of being part of their ceremony, we spend a few hours together talking about marriage and, and what works and what kind of advice that I could perhaps offer them. And I always say the same thing to couples in, in one shape or another. Basically, it's just that, that a wedding does not equal a marriage, right? And I'm always surprised at how much money we actually spend on weddings. Just stop and think about it. You know, the, the thousands of dollars we've spent on weddings, celebrating two people that have really, up until this moment, done absolutely nothing to deserve a party, right? All they've done is decided to, decided to give it a try. Hey, let's celebrate, right? I'll celebrate 50, 60 years into the deal when they've made something of it, right? And, and my point is this. I thought, I thought that when I counted Cindy as the only one that, that I loved her more than I would love her, I, I literally thought, I, this is the most I'll ever love her today. What a joke, right? I can't tell you how much more I love Cindy today than I did 36 years ago. Why? Because I've come to know her in all different kinds of circumstances, in all different kinds of situations. And we're going to talk about some of those in just a minute as Paul talks about what it means to know Christ in different circumstances. But, but there, there, I don't think there have been many scenarios where I haven't, haven't, haven't watched her and admired her and loved her even more, right? So it's one thing to have counted Jesus as, as the best on, on your day of conversion, but, it, but it's a growing thing that leads to this present day and into the future when you can say, I continue to count him. I'm intentional about knowing him in this way. And notice what Paul says, the, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Look at those two words carefully, my Lord, right? He doesn't say, I want to know Jesus as my pal, although Jesus certainly was a compassionate friend to Paul. He doesn't say, I want to know Jesus as my advisor, and my, uh, my advice giver, although there's certainly wisdom uh, in and through the words of Jesus, what Paul says is, I want to know Jesus, my Lord, the one to whom and the only one to whom I bow the knee in every 
area of my life. And this is where the rubber starts to meet the road, friends, right? It's virtually impossible to understand whether Green Tree Community Church knows Jesus Christ on a a daily basis and continues to know him on a daily basis because that's that's a collective story that's told by hundreds and hundreds, now maybe more than a thousand individuals, right? Do I know Jesus in that way as my Lord is the one who has the last say in my life, whether it comes to my marriage or my money? or my sexuality, or, or, or my prestige, or my pursuit uh, of the things of this world, or my, my, my discipleship. Jesus has the last word. Why? Because he's my Lord. It's not an, an idea with which I'm tinkering. It's not a notion that that's, I'm kind of wrestling it around in, in my head. It's a specific mindset that says, this is, this is the way to know him, because he is Lord. If you're here this morning, you're thinking, well, I just want to know Jesus as a friend. While Jesus is friendly, He doesn't offer friendship to you ultimately, right? I can't come to Jesus and say, I just want to be pals, right? If you're saying, I just want Jesus as an advisor, he said some really cool things like, you know, that love your neighbor thing, that's kind of a cool thing and and, and be generous to help the poor, that's kind of a good thing, but that's the extent of the relationship. Jesus isn't interested in that relationship with you. Now, he loves you more than I could ever ever explain to you, but that's why he's not interested in that relationship because that kind of relationship won't save you and that's your biggest need. My biggest need, your biggest need is the need of salvation. And so when Paul says, I want to know Christ Jesus, my Lord, he's speaking of his utter and complete dependence upon Jesus Christ. So Paul starts off by by talking about a commitment he made back then. And now he kind of, in in verse 8, talks about what he's doing now. My question is, how did he get from here to here, right? And if this is about 25 or 30 years, what was the process by which Paul grew. And I think the, the second half of the passage speaks to, to this growing knowledge and it speaks to the, the journey that, that we're on to know Christ. So I'm going to show you a picture of, of three different men. And I'm going to ask you the question before we put the first picture up. If you were in a tight spot today, whether spiritually or financially or emotionally, you needed an advisor. You needed someone just to sit with you and pray with you and talk with you and, and, and maybe open scripture together to try to come up with, uh, you know, a, a plan that was, was godly, was beneficial to you. Would you trust these men? Okay, look at the first man. Would you trust this guy? Look at him carefully. You know him. He's standing right here in front of you. <laughs> You didn't have to be that shocked, Scott. <laughs> Scott's like, oh my, right? right? I can still get those shorts on one of my legs, but, uh, right? Tom Ricks at 23 years old, right? Now, what I was pretty good at that time was, was working with high school students because that's what I did. So if you were 16, 17, 18 years old and you didn't like your mom and dad and you needed somebody to help you with that, that probably... I could probably help you with that. And then you should put a period there because that's it. And if you shouldn't go to that man for any other help. What about this guy? Maybe this guy. Well, that's a few years later. That, that's right before the Green Tree Festival, uh, about three years after becoming uh, the pastor at Green Tree. So that's like early 2000s. I think Jordan's maybe eight or nine, and Katie's about, about 12 or, or 13 in that picture. That guy knows a little bit more. He's had a little more experience, right? Actually, the, his, his oldest child isn't even in the picture, so he's got a teenager, uh, and, and Katie was almost a teenager. She started acting like a teenager when she was four, so I had had a lot of experience already, right? Uh, so he knew a little bit more about marriage and about life and about, about being a pastor, so he maybe get some decent advice from that guy. What about this guy? The, the, the guy in the blue shirt in the middle, right? 
That was taken in front of the National Civil Rights Museum. The balcony right behind us was where Dr. King was assassinated. Uh, and we were there a couple years ago with some really dear friends uh, talking about how our denomination could be more impactful on our culture, uh, not just uh, in the white community. And we had a fascinating uh, couple of days together. And, and, and that guy in the blue shirt knows a lot more than, than he used to. Right? Now, I didn't do that to say, oh, now Tom knows a lot. You can come and talk to him. That's not the point. The point is there's a journey between here and here. Right? There's a journey from Paul from the Damascus Road to the time when he sat down and he wrote this letter to the Philippians. And there was a journey in between there. And a lot of things happened in that journey that brought him to this point. So what we're going to talk about next is going to be a challenge for each one of us. It's going to be, you're going to look at this list and go, I'm not there yet. If anybody looks at this list and says you're there yet, come talk to me because that, that concerns me. But I also don't want you to be hopeless and think that we can't be on mission until we do this in perfection because what Paul is going to talk about in knowing Christ is something that God wants to bring to your life and to my life, to your heart and to my life. So let's unpack what Paul means by knowing Christ Jesus. The first is in, is in verse 8 where he says this. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. What does it mean to know Christ? Well, go on to the second half of verse 8 and, and verse 9, and he says this, For his sake, for Jesus' sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may, I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through faith, uh, for that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. What Paul is saying here is to know Jesus is to rest in his righteousness for me, to give up this notion of self-salvation, to give up any idea that, that Christianity is really just a big self-help thing that makes me a better citizen in this life, but understanding that I am alienated from God because of my sin, that, that, that all of, of my goodness is not going to, to bring me into a relationship with God. But what will is if I gain Christ and if I'm found in him. Not my righteousness, but a righteousness that comes through faith. There's the key that unlocks the door. How do I, how do I attain Christ? How do I gain Christ? How do I, am I found in him? By believing in him, by putting my faith in him, by in, 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 in short, uh, specific words, abandoning me and embracing him and my trust for him. Now, many of us would sit here this morning and say, I've done that. I, I, I've put my faith in Christ. I'm resting in him. And that means you're, you're on the, the, the first step of knowing him. You've got that one. And, and you're on your way. You're, you're somewhere between here and here. But now Paul's going to begin to challenge us with what that really means day in and day out. The first thing he says is verse 10 is, I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know the power of his resurrection. The word that I've put there is transformation because transformation is something that happens apart from you. You cooperate with, with transformation, but you don't, you don't begin it. You, you're not in charge of it. God is the one who transforms your life and my life. But I cooperate with the spirit of God through faith. So the Lord Jesus comes into my life and he saves me. He says, now, Tom, I want to do some things in your life. I want to change you from the person you are today to a person who looks a whole lot more like me. And I'm going to do that work of transformation. And I say, amen, preach it, bring it on, right? But I can't do it by myself. But the power that rose Jesus from the dead, Paul says, is in me. And if you're a believer, it's in you. 
He puts it this way in his letter to the Ephesians to make sure that, that they understand the depth of this uh, transforming power. I pray, the God, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ may give you a spirit of wisdom in the what? In the knowledge, there's knowing him, in the knowledge of him, so that you may know what? The immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. This transformational power is the power that, that, that brought Jesus up out of the grave. Now, I know sometimes you don't feel like this transformational power is at work in your life. Sometimes you feel like it's, it's one step forward, two steps back. So it's good for you to be reminded this morning that you need to make sure that part of your prayer life, I need to make sure that part of my prayer life is asking God to do a work in my heart and, and asking him to do that in the context of Jesus as my Lord, not Jesus as my advisor. Uh, if you ask me to, to talk about uh, a, anybody that I'd come across in, in, in all my years of ministry who I really saw this happen, uh, it was many years ago. It was in the early 2000s, and a, and a man came into my office, and I, and I immediately did not like him. I could just feel the vibe coming off him. I could just feel the meanness and the self-righteousness and the smugness. And because I can be like that, I'm not comfortable around other people that, that can be like that, Right. And, and after an hour, I, I liked him even less, right? And, and, and everything he said just put me on edge. Uh, but for whatever reason, God continued to bring us together. And we, could, we began to talk about how could, because could, he was wrestling with some really difficult things in his life, and, and how could, could God be at work in his heart? And so we put some pieces of the puzzle in place. And we brought some other people in to help with prayer and to help with accountability. And long story short, he's one of my best friends today. And he's not the man that was in my office those many years ago. He's a completely different person, right? If somebody knew him before and that had lost track of him for these last 15 years and, and they met him on the street, they wouldn't recognize him, right? They wouldn't even recognize him. Why? Because of the transforming power of the Spirit of God that's available to all of us. So Paul says, not only do I rest in the righteousness of Christ for me through faith, but I receive the transforming power of God that literally is going to change me. And Paul, remember, was a person that was putting Christians in prison and trying to have them killed to becoming the greatest church planter the world's ever known. What on earth happened there? Some self-help program over a weekend? No, the transforming power of God got a hold of Paul's life. So he rightly says, I want to know the power of the resurrection. At this point, everybody's going, amen, right? I mean, who doesn't want to know that power? But now we take it to another step. And, and what's next? The, I want to know the power of his resurrection and share in his sufferings. Uh-oh. <laughs> we just took a left turn here, right? Uh, Paul's intentional about wanting to share in the sufferings of Jesus. And, I, and, I, and the words I've used there are patient endurance. That Paul realizes that following Jesus means moments of suffering. And, and he understands that. And notice that he says he, he wants to share in Jesus' sufferings. So lest you think that Jesus never suffered, lest you think that, that Jesus kind of sailed through life and never had any problems, Paul is here inspired by the Spirit of God to correct that notion this morning and to remind all of us that Jesus suffered terribly on several occasions uh, in his earthly ministry. I'm going to give you just one. In Hebrews chapter 5, the author of Hebrews says this, in the days of his flesh, the days when Jesus was, was on the earth, right? He offered up prayerful, prayer and supplications with loud cries and tears 
to him who is able to save him from death. Now, if you've studied the Bible at all, right now you ought to be thinking the Garden of Gethsemane the night before Jesus went to the cross, right? Jesus was sweating great drops of blood. He said to his disciples, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. I feel like I'm going to die right here and right now. And he prayed to his father, if it's possible, remove this cup from me, right? He cried out with a loud voice to the one who was able to save him. And he was heard because of his reverence. His father listened to his prayer. But then it goes on to say this, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Do you remember the second half of that prayer? Right? Father, forgive, if it's possible, remove this cup from me, take the cross away. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. That be done. That took obedience and it took suffering. If you obey Jesus, listen carefully. If you obey Jesus in your life, he will lead you into suffering. You say, that doesn't sound very nice. Well, in the same way that we are trained mentally to go into a profession, or the same way we're trained physically if we're athletes, or we were many years ago, right, in order to compete on the field. So Jesus knows that as we suffer, we grow. As things don't always go the way we would have them, when we're not comfortable, when our spirits are agitated, when we don't have the answers to the questions that we long for, those are the moments when God speaks into our life most deeply and most clearly. The, point, the question isn't whether God's speaking. The question is whether or not I'm listening and I am allowing God to create within me patient endurance. But then Paul ramps it up even more and he says, becoming like him in his death. I mean, like him in his death. Paul takes it to the extreme and saying, I, I want to follow Jesus to the very end. And so the word I put there is obedience. Obedience doesn't earn your salvation. Obedience is an outcome of your salvation. It's the transforming work that the Holy Spirit does that allows you to follow God in any and every circumstance. And Jesus was obedient to death, even death on the cross. And Paul says, I want to have that mindset. I, I want to I be that person that trusts in God in every circumstance, even unto death. If, if, if I, again, if I brought my, my friend in here that, that we were uh, gotten acquainted on such difficult terms all those many years ago, uh, he, is, he isn't the same person. He simply isn't the same person. He is a person that is, is now obedient to Christ. He makes mistakes. He messes up. He, he, he does things wrong, but, but he loves following Jesus. And Paul's point here is if you're going to know Jesus, understand what that means. If you, if you desire that, understand the power of the resurrection is yours through the righteousness of Christ. But that leads you someplace. And where it leads you is to following Jesus in all circumstances, in suffering, all the way into death, because he knows that your trust in him will not be shortchanged, will not be put to shame. And that's why Paul ends on verse 11, the most glorious part of this passage, right? And that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, Paul isn't saying uh, that I work hard to, 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 to be qualified for the resurrection. He's simply talking about the mystery that the resurrection is. It's like somehow God's going to do this, right? It's a faith statement. Somehow God's going to use this, this faith in Christ and what Christ has done on the cross, and I'm going to be raised back to life. The end game is clear for Paul. This in-between journey is part of moving towards the moment when we'll see him face to face, where we ultimately find our rest in him. So I come back to my original question. Do we know Jesus Christ? 
Do, do you want to know this Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? Are we collectively committed to that as a congregation? And if so, how, how do we apply it individually? Well, I think the first is this, that, that knowing Christ as Savior and Lord through faith is our first and highest calling. We have no mission other than Jesus Christ. Our mission is not to, to, to make Kirkwood a brighter place. Although our presence here hopefully would, would bring joy to our community, would bring service to our community, and would bring love and reconciliation and healing to our community. But our first and highest calling is to know him. Without that, there is no mission. But also, secondly, I want to make sure we understand that it's a lifelong journey. You know, if, you, if this was kind of the 30 years of Paul's life, you know, some of you are kind of right here. You just came to faith in Christ. Others of you are, are, are right here and you've been a believer. Some of you have been a believer longer than, than Paul had when he wrote this. It's a journey and, and there are different steps along the way. So I don't want you to be discouraged and think it's got to be today and it's got to be perfect, right? I want to show you a little diagram of the Lewis and Clark journey. I did a little study on this. I don't know why it came to my mind this week, but I looked this over and their journey was about two and a half years long, right? 862 days from the first step uh, until the last step. And they left, you know, they left uh, St. Louis, St. Charles area in May the 14th, 1804. And they got back in September 23rd, 1806. And in the, in the meantime, they traveled 8,000 miles, which if you're walking a mile and you're five foot 10, who in here is five foot 10? Raise your hand if you're five foot 10. Okay. For all of you, pay close attention right now. It takes you 2,191 steps to walk a mile, right? So that's free. You don't have to pay extra for that. I looked that up this week. That, that's for you, right? So if you walk 8,000 miles, that's 17,500,000 some odd steps. Now, I, I read the book on Daunted Courage. I know they had a boat. I know they had some horses. But the point is, that's a long, stinking journey. And, I, and I'm pretty sure that Lewis and Clark were a whole lot smarter when they, were, when they were 9 million steps into that journey than when they were 200,000 steps into that journey. Why? Because as they, as they processed, they grew. And they learned and they, and, and they understood more. And they appreciated more. The same is true of our faith. In fact, it's more important in our, our faith. But only if we mark our steps. Only if we are intentional about knowing Jesus. So what does it mean to mark our steps? I'm going to give you three quick things and we're done. The first is this, that I would pray every day about knowing Jesus. And I wouldn't just pray that for me, but that I would pray that for us. I would strongly encourage every person in this room who, who's committed to Greenview, if you're a volunteer or, excuse me, a visitor this morning, you're just kind of checking us out, you're off the hook. But for all the rest of us, we need to pray for each other. Because as we said earlier, this is not the home of Green Tree Community Church. Green Tree Community Church is when we go out of here. And the impact that we can have or not have on the gospel, it, it comes through prayer. I, I'm being serious about this. I'm not making this up. I had to get on the phone on Friday with, with uh, DirecTV about a problem I was having with my TV, right? And I prayed for about five minutes before I got on that phone call because my, my flesh told me, right, you're never going to see this person. There, did anybody work for DirecTV on the phone? Just, okay, good. You're probably never going to meet this person. They're never going to come to your church. And you need to be ugly to, to, to get what you need because they, they lied to you last month and they didn't fix this. And I could have just gone after that person. And I wanted to go after that person. Hear me loud and clear. That was what was in my heart. I had to get on my knees before I talked to DirecTV. How pathetic is that? Right? But that's intentionality. God, help me to want to know Jesus more than get my bill down for direct TV, right? <laughs> Prayer, 
Pray for yourself. Pray for us. Secondly, engagement. Right? Throughout the day, be intentional about this. Lord, how, how can I know you today in a way that I didn't know you yesterday? How can you grow that faith in my heart? So throughout your day, right? When you're taking a break, when, you're, when, when, when you got a minute, you know, in between classes, uh, or, or, or you're driving from, from one job location to the next job location, you, you've got a moment where you, you've gotten off a conference call and you got a couple minutes before you got to get on the next one. Lord Jesus, what can I know about you that I didn't know yesterday? Be intentional. And then thirdly, at the end of the day, be reflective. Before you lay your head on the pillow at night, say, okay, what do I know about you, Jesus, in practical ways that I, that I didn't know yesterday? Uh, Lewis and Clark had an incredible dialogue they kept from beginning to end. The Apostle Paul wrote an amazing uh, journal on his journey, marking his steps and what it meant to know Christ. I hope we will mark our steps with prayer and engagement and reflection because a lot of what Green Tree Community Church is going to look like 20 years from now is determined by what you and I choose to do today. Will you pray with me? Father, we pray that we would not get so busy with trying to be something that we would forget that the most important thing is to know you. To know the Lord Jesus by faith. Not having a righteousness of our own from the law, but a righteousness that comes from faith. Resting in that. Experiencing your transforming power and and following you even in moments of suffering. Becoming like you in death. Be obedient in the places where it's most difficult. Not because it's necessarily fun or comfortable, but because it brings honor to you and it it does ultimately nourish our souls. Lord Jesus, I pray that as a congregation, we would understand that we cannot be on a mission for others until we are on mission to know you. Burn that deeply into our souls, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.